Welcome inside the lab at Formula 4 Media. I am Bob McGee. Uh, today I am speaking with Tom Fowler, who was named president of Lake Success New York-based Polar Electro USA in August of 2016. Mr. Fowler has more than 25 years of experience in a variety of high-growth and turnaround companies, inclu including Wilson Sporting Goods, Nike, Recon Instruments, and most recently Intel. There, following Intel's acquisition of Recon, he was responsible for sales, marketing, and commercial strategy for the company's head-mounted business unit within its new devices group. At Polar, Tom has been charged with, with leading all segments of the privately held business, including sports technology, consumer fitness, corporate wellness, club, education, and team sport. Away from work, Tom, a former professional triathlete, lives an active consumer's lifestyle. Uh, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me on the show. Great. Well, first, let's please tell our listeners a little bit more about Polar, including the brand's new M600 Sports smartwatch and what you hope to accomplish with the company and what's the brand's most important product heading into 2017. Uh, happy, to, happy to chat about that. So uh, first on the M600, uh, I think that's a product that represents uh, quite a bit of uh, the forward-thinking posture that, that Polar has has uh, led the industry with for the last 40 years. It's the first sports-focused Android Wear uh, watch on the market. You know, certainly there are plenty of other Android Wear devices on the market, but none that lead with a sports design aesthetic and with a sports feature set. So that, that really distinguishes the M600 from, from uh, all other devices on the market and, and really shows Polar's heritage and positioning as the most authentic brand in the sport wearable business for, you know, with, with a sport performance uh, orientation as opposed to, yeah, smart watches that maybe sprinkle a few sports features uh, into their into their feature set. And that's really where we, we have grounded the brand uh, over its history and where we're going to continue to, to push and solidify uh, the brand's position uh, as the leader in sports performance for uh, dedicated, uh, you know, and aspiring to be dedicated um, uh, athletes, both at the casual and, and more high-end uh, professional level. Uh, what, what do you hope to accomplish with the company uh, now that you've just got started only a couple months in here or maybe just about a month in, I guess? What do you hope to accomplish? Yeah, yeah it's, about, it's been about a, about a month, Bob, that, uh, that I've been here. And the, the key things that we need to accomplish here in the U.S. that are, that are on my agenda you know, are to first uh, reassert uh, Polar's position as the, the very best product uh, portfolio out there for uh, the athlete. And when I say the very best, I mean in terms of accuracy of uh, data monitoring. Certainly our heritage is uh, a, the leading and innovator company and heart rate monitoring is, is well known. And we really need to assert not only that position, but the value of that position and the value of accuracy. You know, heart rate monitoring is is not a commodity uh, technology. In fact, um, our proprietary technology leads to a, a level of accuracy that is simply unmatched in, in the business. And the world really needs to understand that, that that's extremely important. You know, if you're talking about uh, variants of 10 to 15, even 20 beats, 
from reality, uh, that's that's unacceptable. You know, you think about if you're a, if you're a pregnant mother, if you're a professional athlete, if you're a recovering cardiac uh, patient on an exercise program. You know, ten or twenty beats of inaccuracy can be enormously consequential. So you know, both for the athlete and you know for uh, health and wellness, um, that is critical. And, and Polar delivers uh, delivers an extremely valuable uh, asset to the market in its in its accuracy on heart rate monitoring. But it doesn't just end there. It's also the GPS accuracy is is critical for for serious athletes. You know, I can tell you from my own personal experience that using devices that are measuring you know 10 to 20 percent inaccurate, high or low from from reality in terms of distance, you know, obviously corrupts all of the data around pace, and it's it's very uh, very aggravating, but also misguiding. So the accuracy of our of our products, I think, needs to be reinforced in the market uh, for the the extreme value that it delivers, and then the positioning of the brand, you know, at the at the high end of sports performance. You know, not that we're inaccessible to fitness consumers, but that our positioning as the the leading best product for those who care about performance or aspire to is is the the message that we really need to get out. And I think, frankly, over the last couple of years, we've lost our way with that positioning and, and need to reassert it. So that's extremely important to me and, and to the company to, to get right. And then obviously, uh, on a commercial level, you know, there is incredible opportunity across a range of channels, you know, and, and in fact, Bob, when I first started interviewing for the job, I, I've been using Polar products since 1983, you know, when I had one of the, you know, giant uh, brick on a wrist products that was, you know, the first generation product, you know, back uh, in those early days, I thought I knew the company. I thought it was, okay, these guys are a good heart rate monitoring company. And then when I started really looking into the business, I started discovering that there's this treasure trove of, of asset that the company has built in terms of its credibility in different areas of the market. You know, it's not just for endurance athletes, you know, consumers. We actually have an extremely strong pro team business where we're supplying uh, division one and professional team sport teams with our our product um, being used by strength and conditioning coaches for football, baseball, basketball, uh, soccer, uh, you name it. Uh, and that is an extremely robust part of our business that the world just doesn't have visibility to. We also do very well in health club business. We do very well in corporate wellness programming. You know, we do very well with tactical slash military markets, um, you know, train, helping special forces personnel train and prepare for their missions. So this is, this is all under the radar business that most of the world doesn't see, but it actually creates this incredible ecosystem of capability across a v- wide range of uh, sports activities, not just pure running or pure cycling um, that uh, we need to tell the world about it and really leverage to, to have people appreciate, hey, you know, Polar is not not the, the brand we thought it was and their capabilities extend dramatically further than uh, the way I might have, have uh, previously perceived them. And in a way that, that frankly, no other no other company in the sport wearable space can, can match. So 
that would be kind of job too is is to stitch together that story that has already developed in terms of the asset and broadcast that to the world as as something that that uh, people need to understand and and I think that'll completely reposition Polar both from a product and brand perspective in a way that uh, will be enormously captivating and really change people's perceptions. So that's uh, that would be the second second big driver for me as we uh, as we move into uh, the balance of 2016 and into 2017. And I wanted to, next I want to get your thoughts on I know in your career you've been involved with a cycling company, smart glasses and wearable technology. Uh, wristbands and watches still dominate the category, but eyewear and clothing are projected by IDC to grow significantly over the next four years through 2020. I wanted to see what your thoughts were about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, I was pretty close to the, the whole head, heads up display, uh, smart eyewear space through my, my time at Recon Instruments and then uh, more recently Intel. So certainly there's a there's a future for, for smart eyewear uh, out there, you know, and, you know, Google Glass was a first kick at the can. You know, the Recon Jet was uh, a really wonderful product and it still is uh, in the particularly the sports space and now pivoting towards the enterprise space. You know, the challenges for uh, head-worn devices, you know, are, are several. You know, first, there is no piece of real estate on the planet more precious than an individual person's face. You know, wristwear needs to be fashionable, but the, but the imperative around design and aesthetic for or anything that goes uh, on the face is is even more acute than than the rest or or on the feet you know for example if you're talking footwear you know it is it is the most acutely sensitive part of uh, of a individual's uh, personal brand expression so the technology required to reduce form factors uh, to a point where the technology can be fully integrated into the eyewear itself where it becomes becomes you know indistinguishable from regular eyewear you know is possible and it, and the industry will get there certainly but you know that day is not today I mean uh, we haven't seen any company who has been able to achieve that you know you're going to have to reduce the size of the battery to a point uh, where it can be in, uh, embedded into the eyewear itself you know the optics and uh, and the matter in which somebody is able to see uh, the data is going to need to be miniaturized to a point where it's indistinguishable so you know chips are going to need to get smaller CPUs are going to need to become uh, less power hungry, smaller form factor, you know, and more capable. You know, and as that happens, the acceptability of the designs that can be built aesthetically around that technology will improve. And as that continuum is is uh, presented to the market, the products in the smart eyewear space will get more and more and more attractive until they reach a threshold where the broader market can say, now it's acceptable for me to wear uh, such a device on my face and and use it in a in a way that's constructive. The the other side, of course, is that we have uh, the explosion of of data that you know is is just growing by leaps and bounds every year. You know the amount of data that is presented to you and me on any given day uh, three years from now will be roughly five x uh, what it is today. And then the question is really how do we consume that data? How do we process it? How do we filter it? And you know smart eyewear certainly will be one piece of the solution to that because obviously glancing at you know our smartphones every three seconds is not particularly productive. Um, 
Um, but if we can stream relevant information in the right way at the right time to a user in a way that's contextually relevant and contextually aware and is integrated seamlessly into somebody somebody's daily life, that could be an, a, you know an inflection point, broadly speaking, I'm not speaking about sports now, but just broadly speaking in an individual's daily activity where uh, it can become useful. So the future is there. The technology needs more time to mature and, and, and get to a point where consumer adoption can start to take off. But uh, that's going to take some time. And my personal view is based on what I've seen is that the, the forecasts for smart eyewear adoption at the consumer level are, are way too aggressive. You know, the adoption rate is, is going to be way slower and it's going to take significantly longer than what, you know, the, the foresters and gardeners and, and others out there are forecasting. We've already seen that the, the forecasts in the 2015, 2016, you know, I'm looking into 2017 period when they were, when those forecasts were originally put out were, were wildly too aggressive in the total addressable market, you know, for the technology really is, is not materialized in a way that was originally uh, put forward um, by the analysts. So I'm very, you know, very skeptical that the rate of adoption and the speed of, of consumer uptake is going to be anywhere close to what some of those numbers are, are currently indicating. But it will happen. It definitely will happen. I just think it's going to take longer than than what uh, people who are putting those forecasts together are are um, are putting out as their numbers. Social network Snapchat announced uh, we'll begin selling sunglasses with a built-in camera for $130. And as you mentioned mm-hmm. before, um, you know, IDC says the category uh, will account for less than 10% of the wearable device shipments in, by 2020, but more than 40% of total revenues in the segment due to the high prices for specialized commercial devices. I just wanted your thoughts. You talked a little bit about the smart eye where an eye worn devices. What about its impact on sports, particularly the running market? Well, you know, if you're thinking about smart eye in particular and its potential impact on the running market, you know, let's, let's just tar- start with, you know, with the Snapchat innovation, you know, time will tell, you know, what the adoption is on, on that product. You know, one of the, the big challenges, of course, with, with eyewear and going back to the earlier discussion about how precious that real estate is on the face, you know, there's a reason that there are literally thousands and thousands of eyewear styles for individual consumer to choose from at every price point from the very low end to the very high end. Um, And the reason that that there is so much choice is because eyewear choice is highly, highly personal. You know, and what might look great on you or what might say the, give the right sort of personal brand statement that you would want to make may be very different from the one that that I'd like to make. And, And uh, it, you know, eyewear is very much a personal reflection of how we perceive ourselves and, and how we want to project uh, ourselves to to the world. So the the challenge for for a company like Snapchat with their eyewear, it certainly is a really interesting initiative. But there's only one style. You know, if you don't happen to feel comfortable with that style, you know, then you may find it challenging to say, well, it's I, I think the technology is cool and I like the idea of a camera embedded into my eyewear. But yeah, you know, those, that particular style doesn't really work for me. You know, I'll just stick with, with something I'm more comfortable with. So that's that's the rub with any piece of smart eyewear for the consumer market is you, you can with any one style you can only appeal to a certain segment of that of of the total market. The only way you could overcome that is either through partnerships with major eyewear brands uh, with some type of you know, retrofitable, you know, universal mount type of, of 
solution that could be you know very elegantly affixed to or embedded into the, your preferred eyewear style, or simply a partnership with a major eyewear brand. You say, okay, let's do you know a whole program with 20, 30 styles, and figure with those 20 or 30 styles, we could capture you know 80% of the the consumers. You know, say absent that, the technology that you're delivering and the value of that technology is going to have to be so overwhelmingly compelling that it would trump the the imperative for fashionability. And so far to date, nobody has demonstrated, you know, anything close to an ability to to achieve, you know, that 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 dynamic where the technology capability trumps the fashionability component in the consumer's calculus. If somebody can figure that one out, you know, that's uh, good for them, but uh, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for that data to happen. That, you know, if people are vain, you know, I'm vain, I'm as vain as the next guy, you know, we all have our vanities and we're we're not going to let go of them, you know, very easily. So that's a dynamic that the smart eyewear folks are going to have to really uh, strategize around because it, it's it's reality and, and it's not going to change. Hey, the final question today was, I wanted your opinion on brand alliances within the wearable, overall wearable market with technology and sports companies. We already have Nike, Apple, and I just want to know if you thought there'll be a need for more of these alliances going forward to progress the product, and if so, who drives the innovation, or, or will the responsibility be shared by both partners? Yeah, well, you know, certainly partnerships are are very important. I mean, you see evidence of that today with the Intel partnership with Oakley uh, around the Radar Pace eyewear that has uh, audio features integrated in with uh, Radar Pace uh, sunglass. You know, that product has just uh, just been introduced to the world. Um, a soft launch over the last you know at the Olympics, and and I believe they'll be activating that further at um, the Hawaii Ironman next week uh, or this week. So that's an example where a very powerful tech company, Intel, is partnering with a very powerful fashion brand company, you know, Oakley, owned by, as, as we all know, by Luxottica. Uh, time will tell whether that particular marriage on that particular product uh, is or is not successful. But I think it's an interesting model to uh, to consider if you're a company like Intel, that it's really a pure tech and engineering company and has no, you know, no position in, in uh you know, in consumer markets from a fashionability perspective. You know, the Apple Nike deal is a little bit a little bit different because, you know, Apple is a highly desirable, you know, fashionable consumer brand. I mean, people love the design aesthetic of Apple products. You know, you think about the adoption of iPhones and iPads and, you know, and uh, MacBook Airs and all that stuff. And, you know, their design prowess is well understood. And there's there certainly is a very positive personal branding statement that's made by consumers of, of pure Apple products, you know, so you say, well, why did Apple feel it was necessary to then go to Nike, you know, uh, a brand with, you know, obvi- you know obvious uh, might in the sports and fitness space? Uh, when they already had a, a pretty strong consumer following themselves. And I think, you know, the, the answer is, well, you know, what Apple lacks is, you know, s- street cred in the sports space. Obviously, Nike brings that and brings it with scale. So, you know, if if Apple says to themselves, look, we can't, you know, it, it's going to be a long, hard road for us to establish ourselves as a credible sports and fitness brand. But through this partnership, we can fast track our penetration of that market. You know, that's, that's undoubtedly their calculus. You look at a brand like Polar, and it, it's an interesting counterpoint because we already have both pieces 
uh, in hand. You know, we well, certainly have, I wouldn't put forward any any notion that we have the brand power of an Apple or a Nike. That just that would be a, that would be incorrect to, to even suggest that being the case. But the fact of the matter is, uh, no brand in the wearable t- has the technology chops that uh, that Polar has and has had for, uh, as demonstrated, you know, over the last 30, 40 years, and has the brand cred with the sports performance community. So we already have both the technology, you know, technology heritage and, and, and capability and the brand cred with, you know, the desired target market. So for us, are we interested in, you know, in doing like a polar, you know, polar product, you know, with some big, big gigantic brand, um, you know, wrapped around us? You know, so far that hasn't, that hasn't seemed to be uh, necessary for us to be very successful around the world. That said, partnership with the likes of Strava, with the likes of you know Training Peaks having interopter interoperability uh, between our products and, and theirs, and and uh, co-marketing with uh, that capability with those companies has tremendous has tremendous value for us, um, and we look for those types of partnerships. But it's a little bit of a different context from like the Apple Nike co-branding relationship, or you know the co-development of hardware relationship that Intel and, and Oakley have. You know that's that's uh, that's just uh, by virtue of of our heritage and and what we already have established as the 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 original you know pioneer of of the the category of sports wearable tech. You know others are much more you know recent to the party and um, therefore uh, need to need to do these partnerships with greater urgency in order to catch up. I thank you very much for your insights today, Tom. You've been listening to Inside the Lab at Formula Four Media. This is Bob McGee.